please remain standing as you're able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from, chap- is from Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 21. The text will be on the screen as I read. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is God's word. Please be seated. You can see all the kids running away. It's the last sermon on Revelation, so it might as well. To the children's church. They're actually going somewhere good. Uh, that away. This morning is the last sermon in Revelation. We've done a handful of them. I think I counted 14, but I didn't count very carefully, so. I stop adding after two or three. I want to begin somewhere where we've kind of gone a few times. So we've heard this maybe from Brian or from me. We've said things are not always as they seem, and Revelation is kind of letting us know the way the world is actually. And Revelation and really all of the scriptures, this is what they're doing. It's unveiling the reality of what is hitting, hidden. So stuff is hidden, and the Scriptures reveal the truth. So I think it's fitting for us to reflect on our thoughts about this in particular. The title of the book is Revelation, Revealing, Unveiling, Apocalypsis, Apocalypse. Maybe we should ask the question, does this book of Revelation, does it feel like it communicated to us very well? Did it unveil things to us, or did we kind of feel a little put off? Has it actually told us anything worth 14 or so sermons through Revelation? I think it's important we think about this as we go through a sermon series, any sermon series, that we go sequentially through a book, 
because it can be really easy for us to dismiss the Word of God as it really is the Word of God. Perhaps as we've gone through, you've forgotten all the nitty-gritty details, and you're like, well, what's, what does it matter? Brian gave me all these options and kind of gave us his, his thoughts on it, and now what? Or maybe we felt like we didn't really connect with Revelation. What are we really saying if we say, oh, I really didn't really connect with the book of Revelation? Especially like Song of Songs or Ruth or whatever book you like. I wonder if in there there's a kernel in, our, in ourselves that we're not living by our conviction that this is God's Word to God's people. And it's not just Revelation, but all, however many number of books we got in here, however you want to count it. I always forget. I think 66, but you can add different ways. Like I said, my edition's not that, that good. And then you start going in other, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can count all the 12 minor prophets as one book, and then it starts adding funny, right? Uh, anyway, we might say we have a conviction that God's Word is living and active and profitable for instruction, rebuke, and correction, and everything else it says in Timothy. But do we really believe that God's Word is the best Word that He's given us, that He could have given us? Is there some other second-dimensional world where God gave a better Word? I think it's easy for me to neglect this truth, that the Word of God is weighty and it's meaningful to us. And the way that God communicated it to us is the specific way that He intentioned And especially when we come to a book like Revelation, it's easy for us to go through this hard work trying to think through the sevens and the trumpets and the bulls and the stuff, the dragons, dragon. And as we're figuring it all out, we, we kind of forget that this is actually God's Word, His powerful Word. And instead, we can easily treat it like a puzzle, which is, I like puzzles. I take a few out every winter. But the Word of God is not just a puzzle. Or maybe we treat it as something that's a little bit too complicated for my taste. But then again, when we, we, we can get into this way of reading the Scriptures and neglect that this actually is alive. This actually is... Jesus holds the word, words of life. Where else are we going to go? The Holy Spirit speaks to us most clearly today in this word. We can't take this word for granted. And as somebody in my reading this week said, Scripture's modes of expression, they're the best possible way for God to communicate Himself and His purposes to us. It's the best possible way. It's no better way. So even if you might, might be a little weary of the repetitive nature of Revelation, just wait till you get to Chronicles. We can't forget that God's Word is written in the best possible way for our benefit. He didn't give us a video. I mean, YouTube. God could have just given us YouTube. 
or TikTok or whatever the next thing is. He didn't give us an interactive display. He didn't give us a nature walk that you got to see the different plants in their context. He gave us his word in the voice of human authors in their own words. I like to remind people of the importance of being constructive in our spiritual and in our intellectual work. And part of being constructive as a church is that we gather around God's Word as it reveals to us in God's way Himself and His ways. And we've got to hang on closely to that and build, build up, be built up by that. Our culture, though, it, it goes the opposite way. We tend to passively do things. We just receive life as it comes. We, we, it's easy for us to take the easy way out. Go on a road trip, what are you going to do? Give the kids movies. You know how many movies our kids watched in the past week? Four. We drove, like, I don't know how many hours this week. Yesterday, six hours, more, more. Friday, another six hours, three, four hours. I, it's just lots of movies. We just take the easy way out instead of letting them fight and figure it out and grow up. We avoid confrontation, right? Instead of wanting to build up, be constructive in our lives. As Christians, we ingest the Word of God through preaching, through, through the singing of these songs that meditate on God's Word. And we meditate on it. We do this because it builds us up. It edifies us. It grows us into mature redeemed humans. And I think this is John's whole point as he closes his book. This word's meaningful. You don't add to it. You don't subtract to it. This is, this is it. This is the real thing. By God's powerful spirit, the word of Scripture is alive. It speaks a better word, and God's very word makes miracles. We want to see miracles? You know, you, you want to... You wish you could see Jesus healing the blind and the lame. But you know what even, is even better than that? When God's word makes a soul alive. Dead things come alive. Those bones put on flesh. The word of God is living and active. It's bouncy and vibrant. It's like flubber. Someone said, thinking on Revelation, we must never forget that it is not we who measure the text, but the text measures us. It's a good thing that the weights and measures are right next to the page that we're reading today. It measures us. As we finished reading Revelation, that's what Nick read this morning, the end of the book, we overheard the importance of this living word, verses 18 and 19 can't be added to. It can't be taken away from. And then going back to the beginning of the book, what, what do we also hear? You guys are all blessed. You have been blessed this morning because we read this out loud to you. You're blessed if you read this, this revelation out loud. The simple act of public reading is monumentally meaningful in the life of this body, our body, of any Christian church. So we're landing the plane of Revelation this morning. I think it's fitting that we begin as, by considering this, one of our most crucial beliefs, 
that God's word matters. Every little bit of it. Before we continue on the text, consider a few more pieces. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in considering the rest of it. Our Father, we come to you now in need of your living and active word. We know that it's only by your word through your spirit that that it made us alive. We ask today that your word would be alive to us this morning as we consider it, as we meditate on it, as we muse on it. May we go out here a revived people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's passage that we, that's assigned is, actually begins in verse 6. And from verse 6 to the end of the letter, which Nick ended at verse 21, this is John's closing. As an author, he actually composed this section as the, the ending. He brings home to us what matters most to him. What he says, you know what, you listeners, as you listen to the Word of God... This is what matters most about this book that I wrote. And it's really hard to organize all the thoughts that he brings into this conclusion. I think the most important thing, though, for us is that Jesus' coming is near. It's soon. It's quick. All these words are all the same-ish word. We've just been through the whole book of Revelation, and John says, this is it. This is what we need to know. We need to know that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And then the question is, what what should we do? What's the next step? If his coming is, as we say, imminent, what ought we to do? We should live in a certain way, valuing the Word of God, like we've already mentioned, and a few other things. So the rest of this sermon is really drawing out those few things that John says we ought to live. This is the way we ought to live. This is what he's summarizing for us. So let, let's open by just let, reading that beginning part of the text. Start in verse 6 of chapter 22. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard them, I, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. He said to me, stop it. No, he said, at least in my translation. This translation says, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and and the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book. Here's the first thing we ought to do. Worship God. As we think about how to respond to this whole book of Revelation, I think we have to ask the question, have we made time to meditate on the Word every week as we've prepared for it, as we've gone out from it responding to the Word? Have we thought about how we're responding to it? Our liturgy is we plan services every week. We, we plan a big chunk of time in response to the word proclaimed. 
and the word displayed. Have you considered how the proclaimed word ought to be drawn out in your life as it points our attention to worshiping God? There's so many different things that take up our attention. I know it can be easy for us on a day-to-day basis to let the most recent podcast or something else to, to be front and center in our minds. We've listened to that and it's just stuck in our heads. Something happened at work. Somehow the kids exploded. And this is the most influential thing in our lives. And then whatever happened in the wee hours of Sunday morning kind of passed by the wayside. But John says, you know what? There's lots of things that happen in life, like all of Revelation, lots of crazy stuff. But these words are trustworthy and true. Even though they seem really picturesque, they're communicating something to us that's reliable. And we who hear it are called to keep these words. Can you imagine trying to keep the words about the dragon? What does it mean to keep the words about the dragon? As I reread Revelation this week, there's so many sections that it's like, okay, so what do I do again? What, what, am I, what does it mean for me to keep these words? It'd be really easy for me, instead of keeping these words, just to take it almost like a new Mission Impossible movie. Oh, that was exciting. That was interesting. That was kind of fun. But that's not what God's Word is all about. It's not just another little entertainment thing. It's not just something interesting. It's something that's trustworthy and true and essential for living day to day. I hope that as we've worked out some of these main theological points, it painted the imagery and drawn out what it means in this series, it's helped you to appreciate Revelation as a meaningful book for the church. So what does it mean for us that Jesus is coming soon? That these last few verses mention a handful of times? Clearly, John wants us to keep this in mind as we finish. The last thing that we're doing as we go out is Jesus is coming soon. Keep the words of this book. The first thing we see is we shouldn't be deceived by counterfeits in the world. Throughout the book, we've seen lots of counterfeits, haven't we? There's this unholy trinity of frogs and this unholy trinity of beasts and dragon. and Everything's trying to imitate God, but in a counterfeit sort of way. But each time, what happens? The counterfeit's unveiled. It's fake. It's a fraud. It's no good. It doesn't do what you want it to do. Although there's some allure there, for those who know the living water, the counterfeit is empty. And here, even at the end of the book of Revelation, John's deceived by a, counterf- a good person, a good thing, a- an angel who's sh- revealing things to him. He says, oh, this is so great, I'm just going to worship you. No, no, worship God the angel says. I'm just a fellow servant like you. So how do we avoid worshiping these unholy trinities, falling, avoid falling to these trinities of demonic oppression, or even worshiping things that are really good that God has given us? Like this angel here. 
Well, I think we avoid it first by meditating and holding on to the words of God. As we ingest and meditate and, and, and keep these words and even memorize these words of God, because they're faithful and true, they hold us steady. You know, when you're a little kid and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive my canoe, you know how they go in the river. They go like this. Right? But as you get older, I mean, not me probably. I kind of probably drove crazy. But, you know, as you get good, you drive straighter. Right? This is what we do is we hold on to God's Word. It keeps us a little bit straighter every day. We avoid counterfeits by regularly participating in this gathered worship of a Christian congregation as we confess the faith, meditating together on God's Word, worshiping together in song and in sweet fellowship. In every way, a Christian church attempts to be shaped by God's Word, not because we want to worship God's Word, we don't want to worship God's Word, but because it reveals to us God Himself. And this holds us fast to our confession. This keeps us straight like an arrow, like an old man driving a canoe. I think, though, it would be helpful for you all and for me to consider idolatries that we might have that come into play. It might be a great dinner conversation this Father's Day. What is your idolatry today, Dad? I mean, usually you know what your dad's idolatry is. Dad, your idolatry is this. It's okay if you tell me that. But I've been reflecting on, on this week, and I wonder if some of us are tempted to idolize peace and quiet. Right? We just had road construction down the street, and now people are driving 40 miles an hour down our random, resi resi random road. And they're speeding even faster down our alleyway. Talking to the neighbors, we were put off. No, we want our peace and quiet. Nobody's supposed to drive on our road. Others of us idealize certain idealisms in the world. We have ideals, and that's great. Just ask Amy. I have too many ideals. But it's really easy to make them the main thing and to almost worship them as like this is going to solve the world's greatest problems. Or perhaps we idolize the pursuit of desires and fulfilling them. We think that fulfilling our desires is going to give us satisfaction. Oh, no. None of that. The angel says, don't worship me. Don't worship anything else. Worship God. God's Word measures us in our situation. Revelation has done it every week, and it shows us the pathway through the gospel of God. Now, one, about the, one of the interesting things about the coming of Jesus, that, it, that it's coming soon, is that I think we can say, yeah, he's going to come at the end of the age, and it's been 2,000 years since these words, or 1,900 years since these words have been spoken. But there's also this progressive coming, because the church began in just a small room in, in Jerusalem. But through the power of the Spirit, the body of Christ has spread throughout the whole globe. 
Remember how Jesus is depicting at the beginning of the book of Revelation. He walks around these lampstands. The lampstands represent the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor. But they also represent the, what will be the reverberation of the, 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 the Spirit of God through the world. No longer are there seven churches. Honestly, I don't even know if any of the churches are still standing. I'm pretty sure most of them are closed of the seven original. But in replacement, there are innumerable churches confessing Christ. Through the Spirit of God, Jesus' presence is coming. It's spreading. His praise has gone from a small room in Jerusalem where the flame of God's Spirit descended to now across the world throughout time. There is no end to the praise of God. And so the angel commands John, and I think he also commands us, worship God. This is what Revelation is about. One of the threads tying the whole book together, pointing the church to worship, pointing those who have rejected him to repent and worship. Now John here at the end says worship. Don't worship anything else. Nothing's going to satisfy. Nothing's as good as God. Now it's not just an invitation to sing. Instead, it's an invitation to follow Christ in all things, in life, in death, to worship with our whole lives. And here's our last point then as we apply the book of Revelation. It's the point that I've been saying over and over again. To worship God with your whole lives. We see this in verse 14, I think. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city. Wash your robes. If you wash your robes, you'll have life. What does this mean? John's already told us. If you've read through the book of Revelation, in, in chapter 7 with the 144,000, the martyrs who have given their life for the gospel, they've washed their robes and they've, the robes have come out white with the blood of the Lamb. In other words, these martyrs, they're examples to follow. The martyrs have done this and now all are blessed who do this. And these martyrs, their, their, their robes are washed, which means they are holy. And it's not because of what they have done. You think, Man, they're great. They gave their lives for, for, for the gospel of Christ. No, but they're great because their robes are holy. They're white because of Jesus. It's because, not because of their works, but because of who they trust. They follow Christ in their baptism and in His death and in His resurrection, both spiritually and literally. And so we too follow we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. I think you all know this, but if you wash your clothes in blood, that's a really bad idea. It's going to happen. It's going to stain your clothes. It's pretty rough. Blood doesn't make white. And this is why it's such a wonderful and vivid image. So as we draw out that image from Revelation 7, what does the blood of Christ do? It it doesn't stain. It makes holy. 
the blood of Christ cleanses. This is the image of substitution where He shed His blood for our sins. We now are holy where He received the judgment of God against Him. His people who put their trust in Him are holified. And in the end here, He says, those who have washed their robes, those who have been set apart, those who are devoted to the Lord, through the blood of the Lamb, they can eat the fruit of the tree of life. You might think candy in the candy aisle is going to satisfy, but it's not. It doesn't give you access to the tree of life. And this is fruit that has enduring satisfaction. Fruit that, in another word, is a sign of you entering the city of the living God by the gate. Those who are found faithful will taste the everlasting fruit that is the eternal feast with God in His place, in His garden city. Not only does worshiping God mean washing our robes in verse 14, it means believing He's worthy of praise because, as we saw in verse 12, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. It means everything's from Him, everything's gone to Him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things were made. But then in the end, in Revelation, everything's going to Him. It's where he is where we're headed. Now, it's not like our day. In our day, you just think of the roads. Roads don't go anywhere, right? In the morning when people go to work or go to Costco or wherever they go, we're all going our own way. I start in Minneapolis, and nobody on my block ends up where I end up in St. Paul. My neighbor goes to another place within our city. Another neighbor goes to Fridley. It's like a rat race because everyone's going every which way. You just sit at the stoplight, and you look at everybody around you, and you wonder where they're all going. It feels like we're all self-determined people going where we want to go. And this hides this truth, that there's still an end coming. We're all, we'll meet in one place before the throne of Christ. Those who have washed their robes in the blood will be greeted. Christ will greet them as holy, as friends, brother, sister, welcome the throne. It's not a welcome place to those who have not washed their robes, who have rejected Him, who still having seen the mighty works of God did not repent as we've read throughout the book of Revelation. Oh, that's a fearful and sad day. They are not welcome in the city but are cast out into the outer darkness. But those who have entered the city, they experienced the joy of knowing the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The book of Revelation, not only does it call us to worship, but it, it is Christ-centered. If this is the case, then we're all invited to come. Verse 17 and on says, come, come, 
Come, drink the water without price. Come. You're, you are thirsty. I think we're all thirsty right now. It's, it's muggy. Come. Worship Christ. Consider that idolatry and realize that it's not going to satisfy. Flee from it. Flee from your sexual morality. John says, come to Christ. Flee from falsehood, twisting the reality of what God has made here. Run from the lies that swirl around you. Come to Christ. To believe in Christ is to drink His water. And this is water that satisfies. It satisfies the most pagan of pagans and the Pharisee of Pharisees. Satisfies, cleanses. With all the desires that we could have, it's easy to think we can be satisfied by just something small. We were driving home from a wedding in Tracy, Minnesota. And I was looking for something to satisfy. And at the gas station in Lafayette, Minnesota, it's a stinky town, there's nothing that's going to satisfy. Except for, unfortunately, I bought a kefir. I hate, I hate in my soul. Idealistically, I hate kefir. But it was okay. It had apple cider vinegar in it. Why? But it satisfied fine. There's all these desires that we can have in life, and at the end of a long day, they become even fuller in some ways. But in some ways, it also just reminds us that this world doesn't have anything that will fully satisfy The water that Christ offers will satisfy. The bread of life will satisfy. You go to Target and you go in the checkout and all the stuff in the aisles says this, these things are the, what the world has to offer. No, nothing. Nothing that's calling out your name is going to give you what you want. Might get some satisfaction, but not enough. Your sexual desires call out to you to do this and that against the pattern of, that God established within marriage. The world says, find satisfaction in anything and everything that your heart desires. Right? Just be a passive consumer. You don't really need to do much to get what you want. But it's not enough. You know, you, you see guys at the end of the day, 60, 70 years old, 80 years old that have pursue, been pursuing their desires their whole life. And sad. Those who are without Christ, who have fulfilled their own desires, is, it's not a life worth living. And so, John calls all to come, worship God, turn from that idolatry. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you. We are so glad that you have given us life. You have made us alive through your powerful word by your spirit so that we can see that you satisfy. And we pray right now that you would give us joy 
whether we're struggling in our sorrow, whether we're distracted by everything and anything, whether we are satisfied, may we find satisfaction and joy in you as we anticipate the day when we will see you face to face, when we will enter your city and taste the living water. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.